Season 1, Episode... You're listening to Show Me Comic Cast. I'm Grim Pickerel, demonic media producer of Show Me Comics. And I'm Jordan. I suck the blood out of your imagination by writing words and then attaching them to your neck. And I'm Sam the Strangler Richardson, and what I do is make killer artwork. Well, with that said, you can tell that this is our very spooky Halloween-themed edition of the Show Me Comic Cast. And because of that, we are going to have a Halloween theme to what we're talking about today. Uh, primarily, we want to get into uh, not necessarily horror comics, but scary moments in comics and how do you create them, but also uh, what moments in comics scared us, whether it's as kids or even if we admit it as adults, we got a little scared. <laughs> so... Uh, I would like to lay out there at the opening of this my philosophy uh, okay. about writing or creating uh, things that are scary. I don't do a lot of horror writing, and I think scary and horror are different. Because you can have scary moments in an otherwise non-horror-themed work, um, and but then the, the horror theme is totally separate. But we can talk about both. Um, but kind of my philosophy, and you guys can shoot it down immediately, or maybe the audience can shoot it down afterwards... Um, but I think there's really uh, three things, three components that go into making something scary. And to simplify matters, they all kind of start with an S. And scary starts with an S, so that's good and easy to remember. Uh, I think the first element of making something scary is shock. And the second element is suspense. Mm -hmm. And the third element is setting. And we'll kind of break all those down here, but I'd like to introduce uh, shock first. Um, what I kind of mean by shock is, from a writer's standpoint, you just have those moments that kind of jump out at you from nowhere and kind of throw a wrench into things uh, is one element of shock. And I guess an example of that is, you know, you're going down a dark corridor and all of a sudden the zombie or the werewolf or whatever just jumps out, mm -hmm. you know, or comes around the corner. It's like, oh man, I wasn't ready for that kind of thing. And that's a shock. And that kind of puts you on edge and makes you scared. Uh, the other thing that could be categorized under shock is something that's disturbing. It's like um, the one that I always think of is uh, Lord of the Flies. Have you guys ever seen that movie or read yeah, that book? Yeah, a long time ago, but yeah. Okay, so the part where they uh, drop the rock on Piggy's head mm -hmm. and like crush his head, it was like suddenly when they did that, it, that moment was very disturbing because it's like, oh, gross, and they killed him. And all of a sudden it made the other kids that much more scary, though, is that something disturbing happened. Uh, I think a lot of the Saw films work off this premise, too, is that... You see something and something horrible is happening to them and it's kind of gross and stuff and it's disturbing so that in the moment necessarily that doesn't really cause fear but afterwards you're like I just saw this disturbing thing and now knowing that that could happen more that makes things scary. So what do you guys think about you know my philosophy when it comes to uh, shock being a component of something being scary? Uh, yeah, that's definitely part of it. I sometimes think that 
nowadays a lot of writers use shock too much instead of making it scary it's just kind of like too much shock and it loses its effect oh i definitely use you know right yeah i think it's the weakest link when it comes to you know the the three pillars of mean scary i don't well my thing is in maybe it's just because i haven't been exposed to the right comic books but i've never had like a real there's only one comic where i had a real shock moment and what was that that was walking dead during the end of the time that they were in the prison Okay, I haven't read that far ahead in the in the comic. Okay, yet. I don't want to spoil it for you, but something happened. Go ahead, it doesn't matter. But the audience tune out now. If yeah, you want spoiler to be alert. Um, so at the end of the prison scene in The Walking Dead, it played out way different than the show. There's like actually a huge battle that happens there, as opposed to in the show. They kind of well budget concerns, I'm sure. <laughs> probably something like that. But I was um, at any rate. In the comic book, towards the end of the prison uh, stuff, Rick's wife is still alive with the daughter, but they both get killed. Is this the baby? Yeah. Okay. They both get killed by one of the governor's people. Now, does it come out of left field? Is that what makes it under shock? Or? You didn't. You wouldn't expect it to happen. Like they, you don't necessarily kill many babies right. in anything, right? For the most part, but like the not in fiction anyway. Well, yeah, okay. <laughs> um, like the entire scene, like there's like a lot of there's a there's a high body count, but it's like all of a sudden, like you're reading through it, and then it's like full page. She's getting like a shotgun from behind that take clips through her stomach and the kid, and it's like, oh wow, what the hell? Now right. that's, that's what I mean by shock being used so much so often now that it's like that's the point we've got to to where it's like. People are so used to seeing, like, oh, someone get blown up or someone killed. That yeah, the only I way to shock desensitized. us, right, is to say, okay, well, let's take it further. Now, you've never, sure, you've seen people shot and killed, but you've never seen a baby killed. Like, what at that point we've used shock so much that it's like we're having to go into those territories to shock people. Yeah, but that brings up an interesting point. I, I've heard people in comics before saying when it comes to shock, like and I mean shock is in a sudden thing that happens that you didn't expect. You know, it's just boom, it just happens. Um, in movies, a lot of times, uh, I kind of mentioned earlier. You know, you're going down the corridor and all of a sudden something just jumps out and scares you. That works really well on film. Mm-hmm. You know, where it's like, oh man, you know, and you kind of jump in your seat. Uh, they they often refer to that as like a jump scare. You know, um, but people I've heard in comics before saying. That's the one thing you can't do in comics, but you can do in film. And I would kind of debate that because of what you just described here. You're saying uh, you did the page turn, and then on the next page you had the full page where the unexpected happened. Mm-hmm. Is, that, is that correct? It yeah. was the page turn. And I think that, you know, obviously you have to set it up beforehand. I think the key to using shock as being scary is you lull somebody into comfort, but at the same time you also constantly remind them that something bad could happen so that when you do that page turn it's like i didn't expect it to happen in this way but i at the same time i was tense the whole time knowing something bad could happen you guys kind of follow me on that mm-hmm. Mm-hmm, definitely I, one of my problems with which is fear and shock and scary just in comics and why it's not as effective compared to movies is that Fear, like any emotion, the more senses that you can bring into it, the better it's going to be. So when you're watching a movie, not only do you have like you know the the dark 
you know, shadows or colors, but then you've got like the eerie sound effect, you know, the creep of the floor as they walk by or the turn of the doorknob or just maybe that music. Right. And then, you know, boom, when something hits that sound, you know, it's really silent and then bow, it hits. Where with comic books, you've only got one sense that you can use and that's visual. Right. So it's so hard to have such, a, you know, the same impact whenever you're dealing with comic books. Uh, but to kind of back up, and I like that you said that, um, the, what I thought of when it came to shock, though, is, again, I don't think the fear comes from the actual shock so much when you're in comics or even in movies. Even though you get that initial jump, it's like, okay, that happened, but now that that happened, I'm a little scared because it could happen again. And I think that's the real power of shock when it comes to creating fear. And I'll use an example from video games. I remember playing Resident Evil, mm-hmm. like the very first original Resident Evil, and I might be wrong, but the the first time I think you encountered the dogs yep. as an enemy, you're walking down a hall and they jump through the windows, and you don't expect it at all. Yeah, at all, and it's very you know like oh my god, it's a big shock, but you kind of deal with it. But then it makes the entire game scarier because as you're going forward, you're like, wow, now I don't know where the threat's coming from mm-hmm. or when because that completely just threw me off kilter. And I think that's the real power of the jump scare or the shock when it comes to that, uh, you know, that pillar of creating fear is you create an uneasiness knowing that, oh man, anything could happen now um, because that happened. Same thing with, you know, Piggy and Lord of the Flies. It's like up till then it was, you know, kids really just, you know, getting more hostile and more hostile. And now it's like, whoa, they just took it to another level. So for the rest of the book and the film, you're like, the stakes just changed because of that shocking moment. Mm-hmm. And I think you can do that in comics. What do you think, Sam? Oh, I mean, yeah. you're the, well, the visual expert. Yeah, I, to to look at a way that it's done awesome was back in the like the 70s with EC Comics. Um, I don't know if you guys are familiar yeah, with those. I'm a little bit. I mean, I haven't I read not, a lot. They're, they're the reason that the comics code was invented back in like the 60s and 70s is, you know, at the time you had comics were these brightly colored children's things where it was just these superheroes and they were do-gooders and you know you were never presented with anything that bad and then ec came along and you know their books yeah it, it plays off what we talked about where shock wasn't overdone at that time because the comic book world was so colorful and bright and kitty that when their books came out and like they were rendered really dark with these heavy shadows and like just the way that the line art was was really gritty it that was so different from everything else you were seeing in the superhero books but i remember some of the ec comics like they straight up were like these are terrors you know these are stories of terror and horror and one of the covers actually had like there was a guy it was a close-up of like the back of his arm and he was holding a woman's severed head Right, you know, and it was inside of this like you know bedroom, and it was darkly lit. But it's just the fact, you know, there's a close up of a woman's head that's been cut off. That was nothing like what was being done at the time. Absolutely, and actually because of that, the comics code was created. And you know, they oh EC's this is devil material, and they're trying to warp children's brain. But just beyond just the head being cut off, like how they actually drew these, like the lighting that they would use and just like they said the gritty style and how they would use their cross hatching like just the artwork came across as very eerie like well, without having sound it still set that you know yeah, your senses set the off. stage and that actually uh, is a good transition to go on to the second s word that i was talking about and i don't think i put it in this particular order when we started off but uh, i think that the other way you can create something that's scary is setting and what i mean by that is that 
perfect word you just used was it was eerie. Yeah. You know what I mean? If it had been you get a different feeling if it's a surgeon standing in an OR with a head that's cut off, you know, and everything's right. brightly lit and they're sitting there and you're like, Oh well this is an operating room. This was probably supposed to happen. Uh but instead it's like oh this is, you know, somebody holding an axe and, you know, just the way that it's lit is kind of eerie. And, I mean, even down to, like, font and things like that, you can create the setting. Uh, in movies, they do it all the time. It's like, you know, if somebody is, is someone in the house? You know, mm-hmm. they're when they go to walk around, they're not walking in a fully lit, you know, house, monitoring a little tablet that has a camera view of every room. They're, the setting is usually dark you know there's very uh spare light i mean i remember being a kid and you know what scared me more than uh the dark what's that having a flashlight in the dark because it was like i could Mm. see a little bit and then if i heard a sound it was like whipping around Mm -hmm. to try to see that it's like oh i have to move my light now what am i missing you know and just the setting was that much right. more creepy because mm-hmm. you know? your brain starts to imagine stuff that's not there. <clears throat> oh, absolutely. It, it, the funny thing is, as you say that on the monitor here in the studio, Tim pulled up a picture of the of the comic book that I was talking about. As a child, whenever I saw this, I just described to you that there was you know the foreground of a head. It was darkly lit, and I said it was inside of a hotel or a bedroom. The funny thing is, I'm looking at this picture now as an adult, and it's amazing how much that my mind made up. Oh, the image I had in yeah. my head of this cover looks way different than how I'm actually seeing it on the screen. Because as a child, how scary that I saw that. I added stuff over right. the years. And now I'm looking, I'm going, wow, half the stuff that made that scary in my brain, I'm not even seeing now as an adult. But it's still pretty creepy. You can look at that image though and see why that would, you know, why that would scare a, a child. <laughs> but it's funny how much that I added to it. Because, again, your brain can take a little bit of information if you give it just a small enough amount that can make it scarier because you fill in the details and make it worse than it actually is yeah i completely agree um and and just to touch a little bit more on setting it's like it sometimes the more details that you remove and the more you let the imagination wander that helps build the spookiness Mm -hmm. of your setting um but then on the other you know the flip side of that is just setting in general like where you are uh, there are certain places that are scarier than others. I mean, uh, if you're going to try, try to create a scary feeling, what kind of places just, you know, general in the world places could you set a scene to make it scarier? Uh, uh, a cabin in the woods. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. If it was me, it'd be like a hospital or a carnival or anything like that. Now, anything like now that. That's a wide range of things. Let's talk more about setting is and the just location, but um, you have season, you have time of day, mm-hmm. it, the weather, all that stuff plays into setting, you know. So, what kind of uh, you mentioned a carnival. So, I'm going to a carnival on Navy Pier in Chicago. It's July, you know, it's high noon, and there's tons of people around, you know. Yeah. Uh, oh, you think that's scary? <laughs> I think, well, here's the thing. You can make that scary. You can. Because uh, that is when 
nobody expects something like that to happen. Like some of the most scary things I've seen in movies are when it happens in the daytime. Well, actually, you that's how you make you shock think you're, Yeah, you think you're protected in the light. Yeah, and that's a different way to play it. And there is more than one way, and I'm glad you pointed that out. I remember hearing a real story about uh, we have a fair at the 4th of July in St. Louis. And one year, I mean, this was years ago now, but there was a guy who was just psychotic. And after the after the fact of the fair, when everybody was leaving, so you just have those masses of crowds, he just calmly was walking through the crowd just stabbing people. You know, just give give a person a little stab and walk on, stab another person. You know, that's pretty scary. That's, you know, to yeah. think that uh, again, you have to set that up in your st- storytelling to you know create uh, the fact that this particular setting with a lot of people that's a bad thing because now you don't know where the threat is coming from. That's totally different than if you go to a fair or a carnival and it's like the Ferris wheel's not moving. There's paper bags blowing around and there's no people. And it's at twilight, you know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. So that's a, a different setting. But you got to kind of think about those things. How do I make my setting work for the scare? And it all depends on what's going on in your story, you know. Um, the same thing, the lone guy with a knife in that empty carnival, not that scary because you're like, there goes the paper bag mm-hmm. one by and there's a guy that's not supposed to be here because nobody's supposed to be here. I'm going to walk the opposite way, you right. know. Uh, totally different. So hopefully that gets your juices flowing, you know, in the creative process of uh, how setting can work for you to be scary. Um, and then the last one I was going to mention in my philosophy was suspense. And I think that's probably the granddaddy of all uh, things, how to make something scary is building suspense. So Sam, as an artist, how do you try to build suspense? Like, Let's say you got direction in in the script that something scary was going to happen. What extra steps might you take to build suspense? Right. Well, that's where with comic books you got to look at panels and timing. Um, where we're different from movies is that one panel might take place, you know, two seconds after the previous panel, and then the next panel might be five minutes later. And you got to figure out the correct way to pace it and panel size to to get the emotion out of the reader. Um, you know, you might start off with really wide panels and just a few per page to slow everything down. And then all of a sudden, as the action starts to increase and you're throwing more and more panels together and making them shorter and right there, and you want to get the heart rate up until finally, you know, bam, there's that shock or whatever the payoff is that's really big and in their face or on the opposite page. But, I mean, you really got to lay out panel direction and how much time is happening in between, how you're going to use your shadows. I mean, is the person supposed to be revealed? How much of their face needs to be shown? How many shadows should be there? What kind of lighting do you use? Uh, and I'll kind of put this a spoiler alert for our own comic, but I'd like to talk about this for a second because I know there's a scene in the graphic novel we just released where you did a good job with suspense. Um, and that's our main character is in a graveyard by herself, but the graveyard's not supposed to be scary. Um, because she's been there before, you know, somewhere she goes to talk to a, right. a deceased loved one. Um, but we wanted to create suspense, not necessarily a scary kind, but, a, you know, ratchet that tension up in the reader. It's like someone's coming for her and we don't know why. Right. Uh, what I, well, actually, what I try to do with that, you kind of go back to what Tim was talking about, you know, with the, the pier or the, the carnival or the, the fair, you know, is where you take a place that's supposed to be safe. Mm-hmm. You know, when you go to a, you talked about the fair here in St. Louis, this would be a safe place where you're there to have fun. And in our comic book, that's a Kiko's uh, 
that's her safe place. You know, she goes there to talk to her mother's grave. That's where she actually feels more comfort at. And so by the time you see that scene in the comic book, you kind of get that. You go, okay, even the way the lighting was done is it's kind of like, you know, uh, into the evening where I'm using more oranges and, you know, colors like that to make it feel, you know, like a warm place, like she's safe. But then all of a sudden behind the trees and behind that, you see some characters and you don't want to see who they are yet. You know, I want, I want to create that suspense. So I have them in the shadows. So it makes it a little bit creepier, a little more eerie because that's supposed to be her safe place. But then you have these characters coming up on her that you can't see yet. And all of a sudden they're, you know, invading her safe place. And now, you know, you feel a bit, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Anxiety. Yeah, I mean, you feel anxiety because you know, someone's invading your, your safe spot. And so as the reader, you want to be able to pick up on that and, until the final reveal is there and they step into the light. But I don't think I could get the same effect if you didn't automatically feel like that you know, graveyard and her mother's tomb was a place that's supposed to feel warm. When typically right. graveyards are used as the scary <clears throat> place, usually that is the tension in most stories. Oh, and I know uh, as a writer, when it comes to suspense, you know, I mean, the to make it really easy it's delay you know yeah. hint, hint at and yeah. delay i'm pretty sure uh when i wrote the the script for that scene i mean it's been a while since i've looked at it but i mentioned in the script hey these people are approaching and then i skipped to dialogue of her talking out loud right. and then i say you know after a little bit of her dialogue and they're getting a little closer <clears throat> And then more dialogue right. and a little bit closer instead of dia- all her dialogue and then these people walk up. Right. That would not be suspenseful at all. But instead you're giving a little bit and then you're delaying. I mean, it's the the classic thing if you ask somebody, hey, I got some news for you. I got some good news and I got some bad news. You know, which one do you want first? What do people say a lot of the times? Oh, uh, the good news. No, the bad news. Sorry. <laughs> Cut that part out. Cut that part no. out. It, the bad it, news. it doesn't matter if they say the good news or the bad news. They're choosing whichever one they want le- less suspense. You know yeah. what I mean? Because like, if it's somebody that, uh, you know, like let's say they applied for college, you know, and uh, they really are hoping to get into the school, and then you find out and you go to tell them and you say, what do you want first, the good news or the bad news? They might yeah. say the good news first because they – they just want to know if they were accepted, and they assume that would be the good news. They're choosing, you know, to alleviate right. whatever suspense. But if you, let's say, you come up to somebody, hey Sam, what do you want first, the good news or the bad news? Yeah, I'm always going to say the bad news first. Cause okay, to me, that's the most suspenseful thing, and I don't want to be. <laughs> so I wanted... so role play with me here for a second, right. Sam? What do you want first, the good news or the bad news? Uh, give me the bad news first. All right. Well, the good news is. Such and such and such. And what I just did, you know, was, hey, now I know how to create suspense. What, right, I'm going right. to delay that payoff. I just said that there's bad news. Now I know that that's what he wants first, right. but now I'm going to delay. Mm-hmm. And so the whole time that I'm talking about the good news, what's really happening is the tension is ratcheting up in his yeah. mind. He's probably not even listening to the good news. He's just like, why is exactly. he telling me the bad news first? It must be really bad, you know, and it, you're just ratcheting right. up that suspense. So that's something that you can do as a writer. First, you have to hint that there is a payoff, but then delay the payoff. Right. We have another scene, and I don't want to spoil too much, but um, that's one thing I do is switch POVs also is a good way to create suspense. It's like 
you have somebody going up the stairs, the classic don't open that door Mm -hmm. kind of situation. So right as they put their hand on the doorknob, cut to the person who's out in the car waiting for them. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Oh, man, I really hope they come out of that house soon. Instead of, you know, now there's suspense. So you created this kind of artificial delay in the action that's, you know, having the audience scoot up on their seat a little bit. But I remember uh, we had a fight scene, you know, and in the fight scene, something bad's about to happen and there's an explosion. So right when the explosion happens, we cut to a POV of another character a couple blocks away who sees the explosion. So now the the reader doesn't know the result of the explosion, uh, but they know that it definitely did happen. And so then they follow the other POV character for a little bit and the whole time, it's creating a little bit of suspense to find out well, what happened when that exploded. We got to get back to that, you know. No, I remember reading the script because I, yeah. I called you afterwards, and I was like, "Dude, this is awesome!" Like, and it, I did that on purpose. Yeah, time. I definitely did that on purpose. All about pacing is how you control your uh, suspense. From an artist standpoint, to go back to the scene we were talking about in the cemetery, something I hate whenever I see this in other artists or other forms is whenever you lie to create the suspense. And then when you give the payoff, it's like you look back and you're like, wait, you totally misled us. For example, uh, without giving away anything, uh, one of the challenging parts, you know, to that scene was making sure that the silhouettes I drew matched the characters that you see when they're revealed so that you look back later and can go, okay, I could have seen that. What I hate are when I see stories where let's, I'm just going to make up an example here, but let's say there's a, there's a, where a dog is supposed to come out from behind a tree, you know, yeah. and we're trying to set it up by giving the silhouette. And then whenever it's revealed, that's a dog. I've seen, you know, examples where people might use the silhouette, but it looks like the silhouette of maybe a completely different animal. All right. And then whenever it's revealed, it's like, wait a second. Or the silhouette of a person. It's supposed to look like a person like, and then it comes out and it's just a dog. Right. Oh, thank right. goodness. It's just a dog. With a person's shadow. Right, but I mean, yeah. again, it's, it's used to mislead the audience. Like, okay, it's scary, it's scary. But then when you get the final reveal, they're kind of like, well, wait a second. That's not cool because it would have been impossible for me to guess who that was because you made it something completely different. Right. Where I want it to be, if they really, really, really think about it, they could guess what's going on before the scene happens. But hopefully we did it effective enough that when the reveal's there, it still surprised them. But it didn't trick them either. Right. If yeah, I, no, I totally get you. I mean, I just watched... And people can disagree with me, and please leave comments and disagree with me. But uh, I've been recently catching up on Breaking Bad. You know, I'm finally getting on board with the rest of the country. Same here. And uh, so hopefully I don't spoil anything for for you. I but might have to close <laughs> my ears. I'm only on season two. I think it's the end of season two. Um, I'm just going to say it anyway, because you'll probably thank me for it. So they, like at the opening of a couple episodes... They show, like, everything's in black and white except for this purple teddy bear. And then they cut to, like, body bags. And Walt's windshield is all broken up. And there's all the suspense. Sam, you should just leave the room. (laughs) He's covering up his ears. I like the show enough. I don't hear some All right, Sam's leaving. Seriously? (laughs) All right, I will. That's actually happening right now. Tim, have you uh, seen the show? No. Okay. I've seen. I'm. I'm gonna start watching it. Okay. Well, I don't I, care enough if it gets spoiled it into the second season. So Walt's all into you know the, the underground drug trade and everything. Mm-hmm. So they tease for episodes and episodes, and you could judge by Sam's reaction the fact that he had to leave. He's like, he thinks something 
big and huge is going to go down and he doesn't want me to spoil it well uh they make you believe that finally like uh his secret comes out that he's in the drug world because it looks like a hit was on his house sure and everything is just messed up and his windshield is broken and there's two body bags in the driveway and you're thinking what what characters died you know this is gonna and they just tease it episode after episode and then finally what happens is like this tertiary character we find out in like the span of one episode that he's an air traffic controller and he's distraught because of some actions that happened and he screws up at his job and over the main character's house two airplanes collide and debris fell on his house and two bodies and that's where the body bags what? came from. Yeah, so they built all this suspense and completely like did not pay it off at all. And it it's a really good show, but that was the only one point where I was like, lame. Yeah, that that was that was pretty lame. You know, they they gave me a cheap thrill on that suspense, and the problem with that is. Going forward now, if they were to do another opener where they tease stuff, mm-hmm. I won't be as invested and I won't buy into the suspense because I will expect to that there's this chance that I won't be paid off. And the same thing that happens like whether you're writing a scary comic or making a scary movie. All right, Sam. Yeah, if you always have these uh, drawn-out suspense, suspenseful moments with a cheap payoff, the next suspenseful moment... Is There's gonna... a suspenseful moment right now because I called Sam to come back in and he's not coming back. Oh my god! Ow! But, okay, they didn't kill Sam. Anyway, overreacted there. <laughs> that was shock. Uh, Sarah's like two episodes away from that happening, so I'm glad. Did you I just hear what I said? No. Okay, no. good. When you started explaining, <laughs> I said, like, no, exactly what you're talking about. <laughs> Like the rest of the world, I'm into that show now. Now that it's <laughs> yeah. over. You know what got me into it? Bob Odenkirk. He is great on that show, but that's a that's a whole nother sidebar we can right. have about that's have actually, the Bob Odenkirk episode next time. I, I I think I can speak for Sam, but Bob Odenkirk's one of my major influences. Yes. <laughs> so, yes. And I think for Sam too. Uh but okay, so let's shift gears here a little bit. I think we've done a good job defining my philosophy of the three S's. Uh, hopefully that helps you there, uh, whether you're an artist or a writer. Um, now I'd just like to kind of, you know, for fun on our Halloween episode, kick it over to what comics have ever scared you? I um, I haven't read much like as far as horror comics or anything like that, like all the stuff that Sam was talking about earlier. I wasn't uh, like the Tales from the Crypt and those kinds of things. I was never like. Uh, into those too much. Like same with scary movies. I'm not into like overly, but like the Saw one stuff like that. Anything that's like overly graphic. I like psychological stuff. So psychological, like the most, the comic that had me on the on edge the most was probably uh, Batman Arkham Asylum. Like the actual comic book where like right. everything looks oil painted. It's all dark, and they're basically all the villains are working together to basically drive Batman mad. So you mentioned the oil paintings in the dark, so that would kind of fit into that setting mm-hmm. aspect. Absolutely. And, you know, that that applies in art, you know, how you drape your setting, so to speak. But So, okay, Arkham Asylum. Sam, what about you? Uh, does it have to be comic books or just anything that's scary? It can be anything, but try comic books first. 
Uh, see, I don't, I don't really think anything these days are scary. I'm going to go back to the EC stuff. Like Tim said, Tales from the Crypt and that, just with how crazy it was drawn. Or like even back in the 70s, Marvel, they were doing these like Werewolf by Night and Dracula books. And the way they would do the covers is they were all painted and there was like fog and you would see like a castle in the distance and then... You know, Dracula is just real transparent and kind of floating in the air. And then you've got the character in the foreground who's just uh, cruelly painted in. Like, I would find that stuff interesting when I was little. But uh, I don't know. I was never really pulled towards the scary comics. Okay. Well, what other things scared you when you were uh, younger or even older? (laughs) All right. So whenever I was a kid, my mom let my little sister... And I watch a lot of horror films. You know, I grew up on Freddy Krueger and Jason Voorhees and Michael Myers and Chucky, like, you know, the slasher films, which I wouldn't really describe as scary so much as just, you know, vulgar and violent. But I remember, I I honestly don't know if I'm remembering this or if it's like a dream I had. All right. right. I'll share this with the audience. When I was growing up, I had like siblings die and all this crap. And so I would have like nightmares and weird stuff going on around that time. And I remember it was either a dream or it was a movie I watched. And I can only remember like a certain scene from it. But like it still like creeps me out thinking about this. So if anybody listening to this goes, oh, yeah, I know that movie. Let me know. Because if not, I'm just going to assume it was a dream I had. But it was like there was a little kid. And I remember, like, the scene, it was taking place during daytime. It was probably, like, fall because there was, like, leaves all over the ground. And there was this kid, and he, like, lived by himself in this church that he would, like, go out and play in the cemetery. And it was just covered with leaves, and it was daytime. And, like, you could see the sun shining through, like, the tree branches. And, like, there was hardly any dialogue to this. There was, like, no music. But it was creepy because he was just by himself playing in this, like, cemetery. And then he would go into the church. And I remember, like him like playing in coffins and then like at once like this guy came in i didn't know if he was like a priest or a butler but he was just kind of like this creepy old guy and he was there and he showed the kid around the church and like that's the only thing i can remember but for some reason that has stuck with me till this day (laughs) and like i'm not even sure if it's an actual movie or if like this was one of those weird dreams i would have after you know like my sister died or whatever but it it kind of goes back to what we said about the safe place it's like it was taking place in just broad daylight that you know, can like there was nothing be a lot scarier because it connects like, it to the real world. Right, know? there were no monsters or anything, but it's just that there was this kid by himself, you know, and he was just exploring the cemetery and then going inside the church and the coffins, and it just creeped me out. Like, that's still one of the scariest things I can remember, and I don't know whether I dreamt it up or not. <laughs> well, I remember for myself, I actually have a lot of examples of uh, things that scare me, but I can remember a, a specific comic book example and that was the max number one <laughs> and it sounds silly um but i think we'll actually get to some good advice for the... <laughs> it was sam keith's artwork dude that guy it, had some crazy it was art. crazy but i think more than that it was the way they laid it out because i don't know how many people have read the max but right at the beginning he saves this woman from these two uh muggers or whatever um, and then while the police are kind of trying to say hey because the police come when he's fighting the muggers and uh, when the police come, they're, of course, focused on the muggers and the Max. And in the background, this really creepy guy comes up, and he's got these little monsters with him. Yes. And they almost look like cartoony monsters, yeah. but they have, like, razor-sharp teeth, and they're just, like, black, and they kind of look, like, oozy, you know, I guess you could say. 
Um, and he just rolls up on this this woman, and it's like, whoa, who's this guy? And then, uh, with almost without a word, he just you know basically threatens her. And then you see this panel where she's being pulled away, and you can just see her foot, and the the shoe is like falling off of her foot, so you can tell that she's being ripped yeah. away by these scary things. And you're like, oh my god, what are they doing to her? And the fact that you don't know what they're capable of and you can't see what's happening makes your mind do all the work. Oh, yeah. And that's good advice. You know, if you can make things happen, quote-unquote, off-camera, a lot of times the person's mind's eye will create something worse than you could. Or it'll just be scarier because of the uncertainty than a concrete image. And then later in the comic, the same thing happens to another woman. Uh, But this time we don't see anything happen again. But we get to see somebody come back to her. Again, still don't see anything except for these distressed word balloons that are coming up from the bottom of the panel. And she just says, like, they did things to me. I hurt. But you can't, still can't see her. Yeah. And you're like, well, what the heck? What did they do? Yeah. You know? what They obviously did something terrible. And I just remember that disturbing me when I was a yeah. kid, you know, that it being pretty scary for a comic. And what's awesome is you know, it was the story, you know, that made all that happen, that added the suspense, right. that made it scary. But then the eerie element comes from Sam Keith's artwork. Like yeah. he had this insane style that you like you couldn't tell if it was painted, like his proportions. Like he had a way yeah. of drawing characters that was in, in the nineties with Todd McFarlane and Jim Lee, like the way their their art, the dynamics were, Sam Keith was just total opposite of that. His proportions were way off. Like he he had this really People crazy had style. Like heads that were almost cylinders, you know? Yeah. And, it's funny Tim just guy. pulled it up on the monitor, but like he had this insane style that like it could make anything look creepy. Like I remember before uh, before Image was created, Sam Keith was working uh, in Marvel for this book called Marvel Comics Presents, and I had a couple issues where it had Wolverine and the Beast, you know. And it's like these weren't typically scary characters, you know. They were violent, but the way he did it, the way the stories were with his art, is it added that eerie factor. So it's like when you take his art's already eerie and then throw in the storytelling that was, had all the suspense, that led to some really scary comic books. Absolutely. And uh, another thing to talk about that is, you know, when I mentioned the distressed word balloons, and I'll talk to you another thing that didn't necessarily scare me like after the movie was off, I was scared. But in the moment, I was like, this is pretty, you know, it's well executed scariness, I guess you could say. Um, And when I was analyzing it and thinking about those distressed word balloons and what made it scary was the way people are reacting to the situation makes it scary too. And by people, I mean the characters in the story. So in that same panel of the Max where she has those distressed word balloons that are coming off panel and you can't see her, what you can see is her boyfriend who looks just completely creeped out. And if his expression had been just flat, I don't think it would have been as scary. But the fact that you know, I can't even remember the exact panel in the comic now. I can't remember if he's, like, dropping things out of his hands or something, but I want to say that he was. Uh, but reaction of your characters is super important. Uh, you can tell a lot of those low-budget movies that aren't scary uh, because the actors aren't very good, you yeah. know? So their reactions are like, ah, oh, this isn't scary, you know, because they're just acting the same way they acted when 
everything was going normal, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, but I remember a movie example that I thought was well executed was uh, the Texas Chainsaw Massacre that had Jessica Biel in it. I know there's been like a thousand Texas Chainsaw Massacres now. Uh, but I remember walking in on the scene and it just sticking with me because it was so good because uh, one of the, you know, it's a slasher movie, so it's a group of teenagers, you know, or 20-somethings. And one of them is getting killed by the Texas Chainsaw, you know, Leatherface. But at the same time, they're getting detained by a cop who's like, now, what's going on here, Missy? You know, tell me your story. It's actually Arlie Ermey, you know, and he gives a really good performance. Uh, But I remember it being scarier because he's got Jessica Biel down in the dirt and he's like completely misunderstanding the situation. And instead he's detaining them like they're punk kids. And she's just down in the dirt like crying and spit is coming out of her mouth and she's going don't you understand don't you understand you know we're not the bad they're killing him right now you know and she's just she doesn't know how to say it because she's stricken with panic and the fact that one of her friends is getting murdered and that there's nothing she can do to stop it and it's just a really good reaction and if she wasn't reacting so well uh I'd have just been like, hey, that's another guy getting killed by Leatherface. You right. Know? It makes but, you feel the, the pain or the fear more. Yeah, it's the reaction of another character. Where if she was flat, if she's like, oh, they're killing him, whatever. Yeah. Then you have no or reason Or if she to was get... just like turning on the cop, like, you're such an a-hole, you know, right. I can't believe you're doing it. But instead, she was just distraught for her friend, you know, and she was legitimately scared. Um, one more reference that I'll throw out to highlight why reaction is important. I remember reading The Lord of the Rings when I was a, a little kid, and Tim, you've probably read it, uh, I'm pretty sure, right? I've, I went through it uh, the beginning of this year. Yeah, okay, so I remember the part where the, the Balrog comes out, mm-hmm. right? So the, the Balrog is supposed to be this really scary demon. Um, so the author can tell you, the Balrog is this ancient demon that's really scary, and it's like, okay, you know, oh, we get it. Um, but in the story, there's a part where Uh, one of the main characters, Legolas, is basically frozen with fear as soon as he sees this thing Mm -hmm. Um, because he's so overwhelmed with fear. The author doesn't have to tell us that the Balrog is scary because he showed us by having someone legitimately stop in their tracks, doesn't even know what to do because they're so frozen because they're overcome with fear. Um, And I remember that being... Making me think that the Balrog was actually scary when because I was a of kid. the character that yeah. was the one that was frozen. Like if you could, you could think the hobbits would be like, oh, but I mean, this is an elf. Like he's however many hundreds of years old potentially, and yeah, and he didn't have to sit there describing how scary. You know, oh, he's he's really big. Doesn't is that make him scary? Oh, he has fire surrounding him. Doesn't that make him scary? Uh, instead, it's just like, hey, as soon as he stepped into the room, this character basically shat their pants. You know. <laughs> That reaction of the character in the story did all the heavy lifting of making that monster scary. Um, and I think that's really important from a comic standpoint because, Sam, you have to draw facial expressions. Yeah. And you have to draw sweat and you have to draw body position and things like that. Uh, so what do you do to kind of make those reactions more, I guess, play to the suspense or the scariness? <laughs> 
use a mirror and my cell phone and make a lot of faces. <laughs> I'm not joking either. I mean, no, that's good advice. Most of the, the facial expressions, like if it's like, Oh, they're supposed to be here as a close up and her face is fear or she's so happy or just like terrified or whatever it is, is actually getting a mirror or just getting my cell phone and making those faces and taking pictures of it and looking and seeing what is it about my eyebrows that express this in my eyes or What's a subtle, you know, motion of the mouth that I did or how's the way that the nose turns to get that? Because if I don't, you're just going to wind up with a flat character. So it's like actually acting these emotions out myself. And then from that saying, what about my face just gave that emotion away? That's what I have to nail on this character. Absolutely. So on that, I think that reference is really important when you're trying to get yourself into that uh, kind of unsettled, you know, scared place and think, how would my characters react? So I want to link a lot of the things that we've mentioned to um, either on our Facebook page or on the website in the show notes. Uh, so hopefully we can find like some of those pictures from Arkham Asylum or yeah. the EC comic stuff or that Jessica Beale scene. Um, and I know we can find the stuff from the Max. And so we'll, we'll post examples of that stuff of what scared us. Maybe we're a bunch of big sissies, but... Uh, <laughs> So, do you guys have anything else you want to add for this Halloween spookiness? I know earlier I threw up a picture on the Facebook page of a Kiko wearing her little uh, Ninja Turtle outfit. So, I wish right now, if anybody's listening to this, um, after Halloween, take pictures of what character you are and send them to us. I'd like to post these to our Facebook page so that everybody else can see them and share them. I'd like to see what kind of fans we got and what kind of creativity you guys have and see what you were for Halloween. So get it up there. And maybe we can even do arrange something like a costume contest or something like that. Like yeah, a Facebook definitely. costume contest. What should the reward be? Uh, I'll do a free sketch of that person wearing their outfit. And send it to them via email, I'm guessing? Sure, we can do that. That sounds good. Well, you heard that, so the first official Show Me contest. Send in your pictures of your costumes. We'll pick the one that uh, is not necessarily the best, but that we, in our subjective opinions, like the best. (laughs) Just no nudes or body pain, especially if you're elongated, man. (laughs) (laughs) What do you mean, especially if? (laughs) Basically... Only if you're elongated. (laughs) Absolutely. Pictures can only take up so much space on our Facebook page. (laughs) All right. So with that, we uh, hope we didn't scare you away from our podcast. Instead, we want to wish you the best in your creepy endeavors. And for more information, go to showmecomics.com. That's comics with a C-S because we know how to spell. Yes, and creep us out on Twitter by following us at showmecomics. Get those pictures ready. Send send them to us on Facebook at Hafu Graphic Novel. And super importantly, so that we can scare even more people, uh, leave us a review on iTunes. Give us a good rating if you like the show. If you don't, correct us on what we need to do better. Uh, Give us that critical feedback. But uh, however you want to rate us, leave us a review on iTunes. So with that, trick or treat. Smell my feet. Show me comics good too.